Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. First, I'm Tino, and I'm a grateful sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I always make the mistake of thinking I have the directions correct, written down correctly, and I I don't know why I'm still uh, timid to ask better directions. Uh, And I I had most of it written down, but towards the end, I I missed a lot. And that's where I got lost, towards the end. You know, uh, I, I, I thought... If there's a theater there, I ought to be able to see it. And he said, uh, he says, come around, if I just follow, follow Atwood around and, and go past F Street. And then I, I got lost. He says, the next thing I remember was D Street. I was looking for D Street. I came into the property and, uh, I saw C Avenue. And I forget what, what else down, further down. I thought, well, I better go back. So I went back the road and I went up. I got down there where it looked like it was country, and I, I thought, well, there's not going to be a D Street down here, so I better go back. <laughs> so I, I stopped over there at the jail and I asked directions, and the lady started to make a joke. She said, "You can't get there from here. It's not here." I thought, I guess she saw the shock in my face, and she said, "No, just go down C Street and go follow it around, and then you'll be, you'll see it there. It's, they got a little marquee." So I went down looking for C Street. There is no C Street. C Avenue. And, uh, and D Avenue. And I thought, oh, I got it. Uh, I'll just follow it around and, and I'll go back to the road and I'll ask more directions. So then I saw the marquee over here in the theater. I said, oh, this, this has to be it. So I'll take a chance. I looked at my watch and it was already 7.30. I said, oh my God. I said, I better find it quick. I found it. Uh, I saw some people standing around out here, and I thought, I thought well, it's got to be AA, because we always stand around in little custard. <laughs> I saw some people walking up, and, I, and I, I wanted to ask them directions, but I, you know, I go to a lot of, uh, <clears throat> I was going to say insane asylums, but it's not that, mental institutions and, and uh, penal institutions, and, and you're not supposed to stop and ask directions when you get inside of these places, because you, it's against the law. So, so I, I, I didn't, uh, because there was a couple, and I'm sure they might be sitting in here right now. I, I'm, I don't know, but there was a couple of young people walking, and I, I thought, well, no use asking them. I better go back and, and, and ask. We're at the jail, you know, it's safe there. So, so, <laughs> so, so here I am. Uh, I never, you know, I never thought that I would ever be grateful to be an alcoholic. Uh, it took me a lot of years. Uh, well, every time I heard people say they were grateful, I, I wanted to stand up and say, phony liar, you know, you don't mean that. You're just trying to impress these people here. How can you be grateful to be an alcoholic? There were many times that I was not grateful to be an AA. I didn't want to be an AA. I came to Alcoholics Anonymous out of sheer fear. Sheer fear for my life and uh, fear that I was going to have to face a judge and he was going to sentence me to prison. <coughs> And out of a black eye drunk, I, I, I realized that uh, I might have done something that I, I might have been sorry for. And uh, so I, I called Alcoholics Anonymous. <clears throat> My wife uh, woke me up out of that stupor. And, uh, you know, as usual, she was uh, standing in front of the bed there. 
I say as usual, it's not always in front of the bed. It's all anywhere in the house. You know, she had this stern, self-righteous <clears throat> look in her face. And, uh, I, you know, I, I waited for her to say thanks to me. And I said the usual things. I don't give a damn. Do whatever you damn please. You can leave right now if you want to. Fine with me. And I wanted her to leave. But then I didn't want her to leave. Uh, I went through a lot of fear. But that morning, I, I uh, when I realized what I might have done, uh, I, I really, really had a lot of fear because uh, if I didn't do what I had planned to do, what became an obsession with me, and that's the only reason I drank. I drank to use booze as an excuse to get away with uh, with something that I had planned. And because I've heard people say that they, they did it while they were drunk and everybody excused them. You know, you see it done every day. Uh, you see it done in in movies. You see it done in real life. You see it done in in uh, in, in, in stories that you read. And I saw it uh, in, in real life when I was growing up, and it disgusted me. I hated men that that uh, did that, and uh, I couldn't understand how and why they would do something like that. Men aren't supposed to do that. We're supposed to be uh, forthright, manly, uh, and, and really uh, uh, stern and respectable. At least that's what they told me, and that's what I tried to be. And, you know, I couldn't understand anybody being weak enough and conniving enough to try to use anything, anything, especially booze, to try to uh, manipulate and, and uh, uh, use people. And, you know, I, I almost succeeded. I almost succeeded. And the reason, the reason that... Uh, that I, you know, I told you I drank the, the, the booze to do that. I didn't know that alcohol would do what it does to people. I really didn't. Now, had I known, I never would have used alcohol. And I, you know, I might not be here to let you know about my pain, my, my, my disgraceful feeling, uh, the shame that I had to go through to, to come to Alcoholics Anonymous, especially to come to Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't know. I had a different view of what AA is. And I hear people say the same thing uh, as I as I do. I, I really thought that Alcoholics Anonymous was a, a bunch of winos sitting around a table uh, drinking beer and crying over their miserable lives. That's that's what I thought. And, and, and you know, for me to have to go to a place that I thought was like that was really disgraceful. It was very, very difficult for me to try to open that door. I went through a ritual, and uh, when I went up to that door, I couldn't open it. I, I, I extended my hand out, and uh, uh, the hairs of my arms stuck up. And I, did, I couldn't understand that. It scared the hell out of me. So I walked away from the door, and, and there used to be a tree over on 19th Street from Group 3, <clears throat> about maybe 20 feet from the door, or 30 feet, and I walked up to that tree, and See, I, I kind of hid because I didn't want anybody to see me. I did the same thing that everybody does. I parked my car a block away and I walked there. First, I drove by to check the, the address out and to see if I could see who was going in to prove that my what my mind told me was right. And, and I didn't see anybody going in. So maybe I went by twice. I, I really don't remember. There's a lot of things that I forget that are not too clear in my mind anymore. But I do remember trying to open that door, and I couldn't, and I walked away, and 
And I said, doggone it, uh, I gotta go, I gotta go, I gotta go through that door. So I went back again and the same thing happened and I, and that scared me even more. So I, I went through that about three or four times. And I think the third time I walked over the alley and the last time I walked to the end of the street and, uh, I, I was arguing with myself. Uh, maybe I was talking to myself. I don't know. But in here, there was a lot of stuff going on in here. And I walked across the street and I don't know why I, I stepped out into the street and looked both directions. I was lost. You know, I was really, really lost. I didn't want to go, but I knew I had to go. Fear, that kind of fear, uh, is, uh, overwhelming. It just, it's, it's, it, it just destroys, it destroyed me inside. I, I can't, I don't know about you. I can't talk about you. I gotta tell you about myself. Otherwise, I get both of us in trouble. And I don't want to do that. I, I never want to do that. But I, sometimes I do because I, I forget and I, I talk too personal. And, uh, my, you know, my drunkalog is my drunkalog. My misery is my misery. What I have done, I know what I've done. But although we are all similar, but we all have not done the same thing. We've gotten drunk and that's the only thing that we really have in common. So, I, uh, I stepped out in the street, and, and I looked in both directions, and, and I, I guess I was rubbing my head. I, I looked lost. I felt lost. And I remember my mind telling me, Tino, get in your car. And, I, you know, I had by this time, I, I had to walk uh, three blocks almost. And I thought, well, uh, on it, uh, maybe I had to do that. I was trying to convince myself uh, so that uh, I make, an, make an excuse and not go into that room where these bad people were, where these losers were. And so I, I, I thought, yeah, that's a good idea. And then the, the next thought was, if you do that, you know you're not going to come back. Even if you're halfway, you know what happens every time. You don't do what you have to do. You're going to tell yourself, you're okay, you don't need anybody, and, and, and you're you're sufficient enough, you're strong enough, and... and uh, you don't need anybody else. And I thought, that's right. That will happen. So I told my mind, I'm not going to tell you the word I use, but in, 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 in the fact is this is what I said. This is the last time you're going to screw over me, mind. You're never going to do that to me again. And I turned around and I went over to the door and I hit the door and that door swung open and it hit the wall. Well, you know what happens when that, when that happens. Everybody turned around. And, and uh, you know, group three uh, has a lot of people in that meeting. And... And everybody turned around, and, I, you know, I got scared. Uh, and I wanted to turn around and run. And I felt that small. And I thought, oh, jeez. And, and uh, I thought, well, I can't show them that I have fear of them, so I'll have to walk in. And I walked in. That When I made that telephone, I'm going to go back and forth because I remember things. Uh, I never write things down. I never want to make it pat because, uh, you know, my life isn't pat. It goes in spurts, and I make mistakes, and I, and I succeed in things. And when I succeed in things, I forget about the mistakes that I have made. But the only one of the reasons that I went to that meeting is when I, when I called this man uh, that answered uh, a, that AA telephone that morning. Uh, I, I asked him the same answers that uh, questions that I've heard everybody else ask. Uh, what do you do there? And he says, "Oh." We just, that people go there and, and they have a, a, a meeting. I, and I said, well, what kind of form do you have to fill out? He says, no form. I said, what kind of questions do you ask? He said, we don't ask any questions. 
I said, well, how much are the dues? He said, there are no dues. And I said, oh, come on. There's got to be a catch. I said, I belong to organizations, and we always pay dues. We always fill out forms. There are always questions to be asked. He said, why don't you go down there and find out if you, there's somebody there that you know. There might be somebody there that you know. And I said, that's good. I'm going to go down there and find out who's sick enough to go to AA. <laughs> and, and I and I uh, I asked him, well, when are your meetings? He says, well, at 8 o'clock. I said, I can't wait that long. I knew that if I waited till 8 o'clock, I would not go. Just as I had gone through that ritual of, in my head, you know, get in your car and you're going to go halfway. Once I begin to make an excuse not to do what I have to do, I find I justify things. And I don't have to do things anymore. And I, and I let the pain, leave the pain behind and let that feeling of shame and guilt subside a little bit. And then I'm okay. I can continue on. I've done that all my life. And that's what kept me getting into trouble. I got away with some things, or people didn't, didn't pursue, uh, the problems that we had, uh, between each other, and, and, uh, I got away with a lot. So, when I walked into that room, I walked in there late. And then they had a coffee break, and, uh, I went up to this fellow that I know, that was, that was there, and, uh, I said, uh, how you doing? I don't remember whether I said that or not, but I probably did. But the thing that I want to tell you is I asked him, how many of these damn meetings do you have to come to? See, already I didn't want to go back. Already I was feeling like I didn't want to be there and I didn't want to have to go to meetings. And he says, Tito, you have to go come to these meetings, especially the ones that you don't want to come to. And I said, damn it. I thought, why, why did I have to ask him that? Now, now, because I had planned not to come the next day. I was going to come maybe once a week or maybe once a month. All I wanted is, is to have something there or somebody to recognize me to say, yes, he's been here if I needed proof that I had been to an AA meeting. And I thought, God, it. Now, I, don't, I can't tell you that I went back the, the next day. Probably I did not. I probably waited one or two days, then I went back. And when I went back to that meeting, uh, and I got there early, uh, before the meeting started, and uh, they asked for newcomers, and, you know, I wasn't going to let them know that I'm new. You know, I never like to let anybody think that I don't know what's going on. So I, I didn't raise my hand, and I, you know, these people are, are raising their hands, and they're clapping for them, and... uh my hand went up like this, and I didn't want anybody to see it. When they finished with the, the newcomers, you know, the, their faces turned in my direction. I said, what, what the heck are they looking at? So, you know, I kind of raised my hand a little bit. and We know who's new, see, but I didn't know that. I didn't know a lot of things. Thank God I was ignorant of, of what happens in AA. If I'd have known that you didn't keep records, I would not have come. Because that's the only reason I came is to use AA for my benefit. And the benefit was that if I had to face a judge I, and he sends me to prison, I was going to say, Judge, wait a minute. I'm going to AA. I'm doing something to help myself. Now, the reason I, 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 I was going to do that is for the reason that, that I told you earlier is that people use th people, placing things to get away with things, with doing something wrong. We never want to use uh, other people uh, to say that we're doing good. 
it's always when we're in trouble. At least that's the way I, I, I've always seen it. I've always seen people brag about themselves. So when I listen to the people there at Group 3 talk and, and talk about the rotten things that they did, I thought, my God, these poor people. <laughs> so, and, and then some of them had been to prison. Uh, and I wanted uh, you know, and then, uh, somebody said that we have rapists, murderers, and, and child molesters. I wanted to get up and beat everybody up. <laughs> you know, and, and I, you know, I, I was very nervous. I, I swerved in my chair. And at times I wanted to get up and run away. I, I wanted to run out. But I've learned that you don't run away from trouble. Uh, when I was growing up in my neighborhood, we had boundaries. And unfortunately, sometimes we had to cross boundaries. And I was always getting into fights. And I was a little guy, skinny and, and short and afraid, afraid. Because every time I got in a fight around the neighborhood there, I got a whipping. And the kids uh, found out that my mother uh, punished us a lot, especially me, because at that time I was kind of the oldest, because my oldest brother, he was always off working. Then he got married uh, when he was 16 years old, so I, I was kind of left uh, the man of the, of the house there. So I found out that these kids, if, if I looked at them wrong, they went and told their mother that I beat them up. And their mother would come to my mother and tell them that I was fighting again, and I'd get a whipping, even if I didn't get into a fight. So I got to to understand or to learn learn to if I was going to get in a fight, I tell these kids, now, if you go tell your mother, I'm going to beat you twice. So I'm going to beat you up right now, and then when I stop, I'm going to beat you up again. And then if you go <laughs> tell your mother, and then I'll, I'm going to beat you up again. And I did that. That's what I did, and, and, and they left it alone. Uh, so. So I, I learned how to take care of myself very early. And when I learned that when I crossed these boundaries that uh, there was always two or three young kids and, and it seemed like they were always bullies. And I, I remember this one time I, uh, my mother or my, my dad sent me to uh, get some wine in the uh, Italian neighborhood and I had a wagon. And there was, I don't remember whether there was two, two uh, empty gallons in there or, or three. Uh, but here's these kids, you know, we had Italians, Germans, uh, Portuguese, everything, everything. It was all a mixture, and, and, and then naturally, uh, people like myself, Mexicans. <laughs> and so, I saw these kids coming towards me, and I couldn't run. I had the empty gallons, and I knew if I broke these, well, I was going to get a whipping at home. So, I had to keep going, and, uh, they, 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 uh, came to where I was, walking. We got in a fight, and I ran, and uh, I found out that uh, if I hit them hard enough, one at a time, that uh, they'll leave me alone. So I ran, and, and, and I let one catch up, and I turned around, and I hit them, and hard enough, I I wanted, I always had to hit hard. So the last one, uh, when, when the other guys, they fell back, and, and uh, I knew I had this one by himself, then I turned around and ran after him, and he ran. So when he started running, so the other when they when he came close to the other two, they started running. So I thought, okay, all right, you know. I found out that if I if I if there are too many, I, I'll run, and then I let one of them uh, catch catch up to me, and I'll take care of him. And then when I got one or two, well, I always like to have to a seated fight too. Then it is one, and if you hit if you if you can take two, you got it made. 
Let me tell you, you got a mane. They run. So, uh, that, that happened, uh, until I went to service. Uh, when I went to service, they came back and, uh, I got home and, and I went uptown and I came back and, uh, my mom said, uh, somebody came to look for you. And I asked, uh, who was it? And she told me his name. I said, I don't know anybody by that name. And, uh, the kid next door says, uh, Maybe you don't know him, but he knows you. I said, well, what's he want? He said, he wants your reputation. I don't have a reputation. He said, yes, you do. You, you may think you don't have a reputation, but you do. But I've been gone for quite a while. He asked, uh, we know you've been gone for quite a while, but you, you haven't, they haven't forgotten. They, people know who you are. And I thought, Dr. God, this is dangerous. You know, they know who I am, but I don't know who they are. So I got five young men and I taught them how to fight. And I thought, you guys, just take care of my back and I'll take care of the front. I said, but I'm going to teach you. But I said, I don't want you ever to pick a fight. You can take care of yourself, but don't pick a fight. You have to fight enough as it is. Uh, and I said, you can get in trouble doing that. I said, look what happened to me. I said, here I come home, try to mind my own business, and, I, and they won't let me mind my own business. So it's okay to take care of yourself, but it's not okay to look for trouble. One day at uh, over by Bruner's, I was, I was uh, standing in front of Bruner's, Watching uh, the uh, Christmas show, they always had uh, mannequins out there that moved, uh, and I was watching it, and I got a real strange feeling. Fear went through my whole system, and I, I couldn't understand why it was there. And then I noticed that there was a uh, a reflection there, and I, I see a man watching me, and I thought, my God, is it him? And I thought, well, I can't, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know whether it's this person or not. And I don't want to hurt anybody that's innocent. So I said, I'll, I'll, I'll start home. And if he starts after me, I'll, uh, I'll walk across the street. And at that time, we could jaywalk K Street. Uh, so I, I jaywalked about seven times and he jaywalked after me seven times. So I knew that it, you know, it had to be him. Uh, and this man molested me when I was about seven years old. So, uh, I, I, he, he caused a lot of problems in my life. And I, 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 it made me feel less than, dirty. Uh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't uh, have fun. I couldn't even have a girlfriend because I was afraid that they would find out. And, uh, I wasn't going to live like that. By the time I got back from the service, so I decided, well, it's either going to be him or me. And the St. Joseph School, they had a, a cyclone fence, and there was about a, a real thick ivy there. It was about this thick, dark. There was only a light on each end of the street. So I thought, well, you know, the Army taught me how to kill, so I'm going to push myself against this and wait for him. And, and I did. I went to the middle of the block, and I pushed myself into that ivy. And the man came, came to the edge of the, the, the block. Where the light was, and uh, he hesitated, but then he started walking in. And I thought, well, this is it. I don't care. I mean, I'll die if I have to die, but it's, I'm not going to live in fear. So <clears throat> he, he walked in about 50 feet, and he stopped, and he went back, and he went down, uh, down the block, and I never saw that man again. Now, getting back, getting back to 
closer to the present. That's what brought me into Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, what made me drink? Uh, I got rear-ended on the freeway in 1971 by a drug driver. Uh, ruptured two discs in my back and, and uh, gave me a severe whiplash and, and a concussion. And I have never, never had any problems with in my life as far as my health is concerned. Uh, I didn't know anything about doctors. I've never been in a hospital, uh, but I spent five weeks in bed. I should have been in a hospital, but I spent five weeks in bed. See, when we are ignorant of, of, of uh, and, un and uninformed about things, we think that we are, what is it, uh, nothing is ever going to happen to us. So, I dropped two insurance policy that I had uh, disability writers on. My minimum was my GI insurance. And uh, after I I, uh, I got on my feet, and uh, the thing is that I went to see about ten doctors, and and you know some would say I had a problem with the back, others would say it's all in your head. You know you lazy, you don't want to work, and and uh, that made me doubt whether I was you know sick in the head. Really, really did made me make me made me doubt myself. So finally, I went to see one doctor, and he says he told me what I, what was wrong with me right away. And I got kind of angry uh, at him. I said, "How can you tell me what's wrong with me? You haven't even examined me." And he says, "Well, I see." He said, "That's my job." He says, "I am a, 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 a specialist." And uh, so I, but he said, but I do have to examine me, and and he did, and he told me what was wrong with me, and I and he says, uh, I told him, I, I said, well, how can I get this fixed? He says, uh, well, one of the ways is surgery. I said, if I don't have surgery, how long will it be before I get well? He says, I can't tell you that. He says, you you may get over this in six months, and you may get over it in a year, you may never get over it. I said, well, how about if we have surgery? Uh, what, what then? He said, well, then you will get rid of the pain. You will get rid of all the symptoms. I said, will I be able to go back to work? He said, sure. Well, I said, let's do it. He said, well, not so fast. You go home and think about it first. And I did. And I didn't change my mind. I had surgery. And uh, I, the thing is that I, that I did get better. I went back to work and I got hurt at work. Now, the important point there is uh, before before this happened, before I got hurt, you know, I, I had felt sorry for that man that rear-ended me. After I got hurt again, because of the, uh, I was not able to work 100%, and uh, the second time was worse, and and then they wanted to perform surgery again, and I had, I mean, I had have had problems with my back ever since, and I said, no, you're not going to do it again. I said, I'll just live with this, and uh, then I, I co-signed a note for this fella. That I really didn't want to co-sign for. I had no business co-signing it, and uh, I tried to get out of it. And you know, we people like myself have a hard time saying no. I said no about four times, and the last time he came to me, he says, "Please do it for my family." And I said, "Well, I said, let me think about it." So I thought I was pretty smart. Uh, thought of a way that I could get his wife to guarantee his loan. And his wife worked for the state at that time. So, 
See you later, Doris. <laughs> Good to see you again. <laughs> so, uh, uh, when, when, uh, when he came back and I had told him, uh, uh, you know, ask your wife if she'll co-sign this note with me. And, uh, because I was sure that if she, I was sure she wouldn't do it. And then I could say no. But he came back and, and, he, and he said that she would. So we went to the office to to co-sign that note, and I told him, I said, look, please don't screw me up. I said, I'm not working. I said, I'm not making any money, and uh, I can't owe money. I said, it really causes me a lot of problems. He says, uh, uh, he says, don't worry, Tino. And, uh, and he laughed. I said, don't laugh. I said, don't laugh. I said, God is my witness. I'll kill you. He says, I know, Tino. He says, I know you. He says, uh, I said, you know, I wouldn't walk across the street to help you. I said, and the only reason I'm doing this is because of your family. So the, 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 gist of the story is that, uh, he didn't pay a dollar cent and, uh, I, I got, uh, subpoenaed to go to court. You know, there, I'm, I'm, I'm skipping a lot of steps now. And, uh, I've never been in court. You know, I've never been arrested. I've never been in jail. So I, I got scared. I didn't know what to do. Uh, so I called up a fellow that I know that's in business and he says, you know, you better get a lawyer. I said, why? I haven't done anything wrong. He says, get a lawyer. He says, I, I don't, I can't advise you, uh, legally, but I, I, he said, I think you're, you're in trouble. And, uh, so I did, uh, get a lawyer and, uh, he told me, he says, uh, he says, you know, you're lucky you got here when you did. He says, because the way, if you had allowed this to go to court and the judge had, had uh, ruled that, that you have to pay this money, and uh, they they put your house up for sale. He says they can steal that house from you. And I and I said, well, that's not fair. He said, has, he said it has nothing to do with fair. That's the law. So so you know, I I got I got real angry. And because I had promised this fellow that I would do that to him, and uh, I've been taught that you're a man of your word. And, you know, I didn't know the things that I know today. So, I thought, doggone it, if I don't, if I don't do it, then God's going to punish me for, for using Him as a witness. And besides, if I don't do it, then I'm not keeping my word. And besides, if I don't do it, then He's going to do it to somebody else. And I went crazy. So I thought, well, I'll use the booze as an excuse. So I started drinking, and I got angry. And then I drank more, and I got angrier. And then I and then I caught myself in a vicious cycle. I got angrier, and I drank more, and I and I uh, the angrier I got, the more I drank, and the more I drank, the angrier I got, and it became an obsession. And that's the reason I believe that I went out on a blackout drunk that day to fulfill that promise. You know, thank God that that, that it didn't happen. But if if something had happened to that man that night, I would have known that I did it. And the reason I'm telling you this, and I really believe it, because I'm in the H&I committee now, and uh, in one of the meetings in San Quentin, there was a man there for manslaughter. He killed somebody in a blackout front. Now, that man, uh, somebody said that he's not a criminal. Well, maybe he's not, but he's serving time for something he did in a blackout front. And I thought, my God, you know, that could have happened to me. So... Some of the things that, that I have done 
well, I'm, well, I was in a blackout. See, I don't know what I've done, if I've done anything in a blackout. But I know that I have driven my car many times in a blackout because I never remember getting home. I remember waking up in the morning and I and wondering if my car is out there because sometimes it wasn't there. And I had to look for it. And boy, I'll tell you, when you look for a car and you don't even know where you left it, where do you start looking? And, and it's embarrassing to call somebody and say, will you help me go look for my car? <laughs> you know, I mean, people like me that, that, that have as much pride as I did, that's, the, you know, it's disgraceful. But I, you know, I did those things. And, and, and at times I'd wake up and I, and I'd go to the window and I, and I'd look out for the driveway and if my car wasn't there, then I'd have to get up courage enough to go to the garage or lock the door and look in there and then pull the car out to see if there's any dents around it because you never, I never knew. I never knew. Thank God that most of the time our, my car was either in the driveway or in the garage. Now, because, because I did those things and because I felt guilt, remorse, uh, both emotional and physical pain, it really caused me a lot of problems. It made me angry. It made me resentful. And then, then when I drank too much, uh, I was usually in my backyard or in the house, and I felt lonely. And, and, and then I felt so doggone lonely that, that when, when uh, people would come over, I'd be glad to see them. And if I had been drinking too much, I'd want them to leave. And I'd be uh, ornery or mean. You know, they'd leave. Then later on, I'd wonder, well, you know, how come my friends don't visit me anymore? Most of the time, it's because I drank too much. Probably all the time later. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a sad life. It's a sad, miserable life that, that, that when you live like that, and at least it was for me. And the thing that caused me to come to Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, it was very, very difficult for me to, to admit that I even thought of harming another human being at first. And I wouldn't talk about those things and when I shared meetings. Uh, I, I really didn't have anything to, to share because I really couldn't identify with those people in there. Because I was not an alcoholic when I came into this program. You know, I had never admitted to anybody before I came into this program that I drank too much. A couple of times, uh, some of the people that knew me, a uh, man told me, you know, you, you're drinking too much. And my pride right away would say, well, you can't let him talk to you like that. You're a man. You buy your own drinks or booze. You don't ask them for anything. So I would have to tell them, you know, please mind your own business. I buy my own drinks. And besides, uh, you know, I don't like anybody insinuating that I'm a drunk. So what I told them, I said, uh, I'm going to let you get away with it this time. I said, but if you ever tell me that again, I'm going to punch you in the mouth. You know, they never told me again. Uh... And they, they, today, I realized that they were my friends. And they were concerned. See, but I didn't know that then. I was too, I have to say, ignorant of, of, of life, of, of, of people, of love. I had to come to Alcoholics Anonymous to find out what unconditional love is. I didn't know anything about that. 
I always thought that, you know, and I heard this at meetings, that's why I, I can say it this way, I, because otherwise I would not be able to tell you this. I couldn't talk to you the way I'm talking uh, to, uh, 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 to you right now. Uh, I was afraid. But love, to me, I equated with sex. You know, in the movies, you see the, the, the hero, he always gets a woman, and what, what, they insinuated sex, you know, you have one, 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 one scene, they're, they're hugging and kissing, and next scene, they're, they're either in the bedroom or coming out of the bedroom. And, and, and the stories that you, that you read in the magazines, the love stories, it's, it always goes to either marriage or, or, uh, whatever. <laughs> 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 no, I just don't want to say it. I don't know how to say it. You know, I was taught that that my mother, when I was growing up, told me, she said, you know, you don't touch virgins, you don't touch married women, and you don't go near divorcees. You know, and I and and I didn't, and I I was afraid of women. I was afraid of girls. I could not get close to a girl. So. And now, I, you know, later on, I thought, God, what else was left? If you can't go near virgins, you can't go near married women, and you can't get, go near divorces, what's left? See, I didn't think about that. I just didn't do it. And and when I came into the program, that I, I, I think it was that first day, these little old ladies came up and they hugged me. Oh, God, it, I, it was terrifying. I, I, I stood there like this. I said, what? What do these old ladies want? I don't want nothing from them. <laughs> and, and, and then you come back the next time, and they hug you again, and, you know, I'm looking at them afraid. You know, I, I, I was stiff. I'm sure I was stiff. And little by little, I remember that my, my arms went up a little bit, you know. And then pretty soon I, I, I just barely touch them. And I, and I heard, you know, started hearing this unconditional love that has nothing to do with sex. You know, if you're thinking about that, there's something wrong with you. And there's nothing wrong with me, so I, you know, I'm not thinking about that, but I was. But I was. But, see, but I couldn't tell them that then. You know, I'm, I'm glad today that I'm an alcoholic Anonymous. It took me nine years. To be, to feel gratitude. I hope I don't cry. Doggone it. I pray to God that I wouldn't. <laughs> but, but gratitude overwhelms me. Before, before I even knew, I had to admit that I was grateful. Uh, when I was talking meetings, shared meetings, and I begin talking about gratitude, I choke up and I, and, and if I continued, I start crying. So I w- would always stop. And people would say, Tio, you never say anything. I couldn't. I couldn't. By the time I started talking, uh, you know, sharing my, my feelings, uh, it was difficult because by then I had become a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. When I, when I first tried to tell the people in A that I was uh, an alcoholic, I couldn't tell them. And I didn't mean that I was an alcoholic. I didn't even want to be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous yet. But I was afraid by then that you'd ask me to leave. Because all I would say is, my name is Tino. You know, I'm just here. Or I'm, um, that's it. But then I, I, I tried to tell people that I was, uh, in the meetings that I was an alcoholic and, and I, I would say, I'm an ac-, and it wouldn't come out. I would not come out. And one day, 
a fella told me that, Tino, you're not an alcoholic. And my ego said, see, they can tell. <laughs> and my, you know, my, I know I, my chest probably stuck out a little bit, and I didn't have a pot belly at the time, so I thought I looked pretty good. And, uh, and he says, you've never been in the schedule. And by that time I was mad, I was getting angry, and I said, that's right, I'm not as stupid as you are. Because I wanted him to hit me. Because I wanted to hit him so bad. I don't like anybody making fun of me. Today it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks today. But then it did. I still was not into the change that we have to go through. And uh, I was going to hit him. I remember I, I, I folded my, my fist and I, and I went like this. And I, I, I had my, a cane in my hand, you know, because I had to walk with a cane at the time. And uh, when I went like this, I noticed that I was in a men's meeting. I thought, uh-oh. I said, if I hit him and I knock him down, they're going to get up and they're going to try to beat me up. And my mind says, you can take care of two or three more, but the rest of them might hurt you. And you can't stand to be hurt because you are hurt already and you have to walk with a cane. You know, the, the insane, the insanity of a thought like that was, uh, you know, I, I, I probably wouldn't have been able to hit him. But my mind told me that I could, and because my mind told me I could, I believed it. Thank God that I, that, that, that I was in a men's meeting and I was new. Today I know they would have clapped their hands if I would have hit that man. Because he made a lot of people miserable. See? <laughs> He did. He did. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad Norris left because that he knows. He he knows who that man is, and, and I I don't know whether he 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 would know who I'm talking about. But uh, I I I turned around and I was I was shaking. I I turned away from him. There was a there was a, a an elderly gentleman walking towards us, and I don't know why he was coming up there. Uh, and I said, Did you hear what he what he told me? I said, I thought you people were, didn't have the right to tell anybody that they're an alcoholic or not. I says, uh, he says, did you hear him say that to me? He says, don't pay any attention to him, Tino. He's, he's jealous of you. So what do you mean jealous of me? I'm new in this program. He's got time in the program. He says, he knows that you're going to stay sober, and he's, he's not. And then, you know, he may be angry, because, you know, I, I, I used to think that I'm a darn good liar. I'm a, I'm a darn good con artist. And so, I, you know, for him to tell me that he knows that I'm, I'm going to stay sober when I didn't have no intention of staying in AA. You know, I was lying all the time. And so for him to tell me that I'm going to stay sober, he's telling me that I'm, I'm not, that I'm not lying. Or that I am lying. You know, I, I'm getting confused here right now. But he made me angry and I, and I had to stop myself because I'm angry at this guy and, and, and I'm trying to seek this guy's advice and it, and he's telling me something, I'm getting angry at him, I'm going to lose it. So he says, look at the third tradition. You know what it says, and I want to tell him, hell no, and I don't give a damn, because I didn't want to know. You know that fifth tradition used to bore the hell out of me when he used to read it. One day I thought, I'm going to look for something really intellectual, I'm going to bring it and give it to them, because, you know, the poor slobs. <laughs> I mean, they don't even know that, that there's something better to read. And, you know, they're... They're reading the same thing over and over again. You know, they're they're in a rut. So, so you know, I, you know, that's that was my ignorance. I I didn't know any better. That's that's how I came in. 
Christians. And, and that's the truth, you know, I, and i got to tell you that. So this man, when he, when he told me about the tradition, and, and I wanted to tell him that, and I said, no, I better not tell him that, because they may throw me out. So he said, he gave me that little wallet card, and he says, uh, you know, he says, here, he says, let's read it. So we read it, and said, you know, the only, the only, uh, the, uh, the only, um, uh, what is it? Yeah, the only requirement to uh, be an AA member is uh, uh, desire to stop drinking. And they says, we used to have an honest desire on there, but, see, but a lot of people don't have an honest desire to stop drinking. He says, you have a de desire to stop drinking, don't you? And I said, yes, and I lied. <laughs> I lied. Yeah, I, I really lied. But I went home and I read that, and I, I thought, that God, that's right. You know, it says, the only... Requirement below the AA is a desire to stop drinking. He, and he said, it doesn't tell you, ask you how much or how little or what you, just stop drinking. So, you know, I always like to get even. So I came back the next day. See, I didn't come to meetings every day in the beginning. I didn't like it. I didn't want to. I wouldn't. I didn't need it. But I came back that next day and... Uh, we have a, a kind of a, a tradition that uh, at the end of the meeting, uh, the last five minutes, we open it up for volunteers. And I knew that. I had been to enough meetings that I knew that if they didn't call on me, because I was going to talk that day, and I was not going to let them close the meeting without me talking. So the last five minutes, when they said, is there anybody? I want to say something. So it's okay. I told him, my name is Tino, and I don't remember whether I told him I was an alcoholic or not. And, but I do remember this. I'll never forget it. He said, I'm not here for you. I'm not here for anybody. I'm here because the third tradition gives me the right to be here. And I don't care if nobody stays here. All you bastards can leave, but I'm staying. And you know, that was the best thing that I could have done. See, I'm a, I'm a rebellious person. Um, uh, uh, I, I used to be a very rebellious person. I used to be very, very opinionated. Nobody's opinion mattered but mine. And I was very bullheaded. And because I was that way, my, see, my rebellious attitude made me come back. When that person told me about the third tradition, and that person told me that I was not an alcoholic, See, I was going to prove to him that he could not run me out of the meeting. And I came in there strutting like a fighting cock, uh, and daring that, that person to talk to me again and tell me something else. And I would have maybe punched him in the nose, I don't know. But I'm glad he didn't say anything. Maybe he wasn't even there, I don't know. But because of my rebellious attitude, it tricked me, and it used me to stay in AA. And it's the best thing that's ever that ever happened in my life. And when I was when I was in one of the meetings in San Quentin, one of the first meetings, you know, I I thought that all convicts were bad, and, and they all swore, and they all uh, were the worst. So I'm going to say the second meeting that I went to to there in, in San Quentin. I felt very, very comfortable. And I had not been able to feel comfortable in an AA meeting outside. I could not identify 
really with anybody in an AA meeting. And when I realized that I was really comfortable and enjoying myself, it scared the heck out of me. You know, what's wrong with me? You know, I've never been in jail. I've never been in prison. So why am I feeling so doggone comfortable and identifying with these comics when I can't identify with anybody on the street? You must be sick. So I, 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 uh, I went home and I took an inventory. And that's when all of this stuff in my childhood started coming out. <coughs> and I thought, my God, no wonder I'm like that. No wonder I, I really enjoyed my meeting in there. See, because when I was about, oh, I'm going to have to say three years old, I, I really don't know. Uh, maybe it was younger. I, 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 it's too, too long ago, but I'll never forget. See, I saw a man beating my, my mother up and, uh, on the bed. And, and I was coming around the door, and I could—I heard her say, "My my son, my son, uh, what if he comes in here?" And you know, he was hitting her, and she was trying to fend off his uh, his uh, blows. And uh, he said, I'm gonna, "I'll do the same thing to him if he comes in and scared the heck out of me." And I and I ran. And the next next thing I remembered was that I heard my sister's voice, and uh, I was huddled up against a tree trunk next to the river, and the river back there, and. Uh, I couldn't say anything. I didn't want to say. I didn't want to go back. I was scared. Really, really scared. And uh, I wanted to kill that man. And that's all I lived for for many years. And I remember seeing that man later. And I, I don't know if I, I... I might have kicked him. I don't know. But I felt so inadequate. So frustrated. I mean, here's this giant. Here's this little person. And I want to hurt him. And I made up my mind that I was going to get strong. And I started uh, exercising very, very young. And I heard people say that if you if you work hard, you will get strong. And uh, whenever they said there's something to do, I was always the first one. I I I was a hard worker. Uh, I became a workaholic. And then that that incident I told you about that uh, molestation that was about five six years old. And uh, then this next man, and then the guy that rear-ended me. Uh, I had a lot of anger in me. A lot of rage, a lot of revenge. So, you know, it's no wonder that that, uh, that I got screwed up. I'm not excusing it. I'm just saying that I, I took it and I ran with it. And it caused me a lot of problems. So so when, when I came into AA, uh, I was angry with you people. I'm saying you people. I don't mean you personally here. I meant those people at, at uh, Group 3. Uh, and then, then they would laugh. Yeah. You know, and I, I could understand sometimes, I think, what's the matter with that stupid person laughing at this, the poor miserable things that this person is saying? Doesn't he have any feelings? And I wanted to get up and punch him, but I, but I was still new. I was still new. I wanted to say something. And if, please laugh. Please laugh. I invited a lady to, to, uh, at a, uh, to speak for us at a speaker meeting and go out, uh, last month and uh, she did a wonderful job and she was talking and I was laughing my wife turned around it's not funny <laughs> she's, that she's talking about you know this hurt and I said you don't understand it is funny we've got to laugh at ourselves we can't take ourselves so damn serious we've got to laugh so I laughed even harder and people look at me and they say you know because some people don't understand even some meetings and I can't understand a person with time 
how come they don't laugh? I really can't understand it. I, I feel sorry for them because they're still in their misery. They're still taking themselves too damn serious. Uh, and I, you know, I, 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 and I, sometimes I'll, I'll check it when I see somebody look at me like, what are you laughing at? Don't you know that's painful for them? And I said, well, I can't change it, buddy. And I, I, they taught me I can only change myself. <coughs> but, I, you know, I started to tell you about uh, the gratitude. I was driving down Greenback. I had nine years in the program. And uh, <laughs> if I cry, excuse me. <laughs> but my mind said, Tito, how could a person like you stay in AA? You are so cocky, so so sure of yourself, opinionated, you know, and angry. How the hell could you stay there? I don't know. I don't know. The fear sat me down and kept me there. The fear of dying. You know, this person that I that I promised that I, that I would take his life. He's a dope user, and he and he sells. And one day he took me to. Uh, one of the places that, that he, he needed to get some stuff for somebody else, and he says, don't go inside. And he says, if anybody comes to the to the car, don't open the door, don't don't roll the window down. He says, because your life is in danger. I said, what the hell did you bring me here for? He says, well, I need to get this. I said, I said you son of a <laughs> But he went in, and they came back out, and they, he says, God, I almost didn't get on it. I said, why? Says, because uh, this person... Uh, you know, this guy wasn't a very straight shooting person, and evidently he had done something to uh, to uh, uh, cheat him or, or, or did something wrong. Anyhow, he almost didn't get out of there. He says, look, I said, don't ever do this to me again. I said, because then you're going to be in trouble with me. And don't do that to me again. And, uh, <sighs> you know, all of those things that, that I've been through came to mind, and, and I started crying. And I, because I felt the gratitude. See, AA saved my life. It, it, the book says we are reborn in here. And, and uh, all of this pain of growing, uh, uh, of, of, of self-inventory, uh, have brought a lot of stuff out, a lot of painful stuff in me. And, not, and, it, and it's gone. It's gone. And, and the only reason that I, that I, that I, that I, that I shed tears is because it, it, the, the gratitude is overwhelming. You know, I am not the same person. I don't hurt today like I did then. I don't. I don't allow myself to get into situations that are going to cause me that pain today. Today, you know, I've learned that your opinion of me is none of my business, and 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 using that has allowed me to break the last chain of being a people pleaser. Yeah, I, I'm not vulnerable anymore. But it took a long time to 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 get there. A lot of growing pains, a lot of searching inside uh, my motives, my uh, my vulnerability uh, to get beyond that. And I'm there today. You know, and if you're not there, believe me, if you keep working the steps, you will get there too. I, mean, I, I can make you that promise because it happened to me, and, and, and the, those promises do come, they're granted to you. If you use those steps in your life, I mean, it tells you that, it promises you that, and I can tell you that it, that it's true. You know, I, 
know, I, I had to see it work in other people so that I can keep going forward myself because I, I had no faith in this book. I doubted it for, for a long time. I don't know when it started working. I can't tell you that. I don't know that. All I know is that after a while, things begin to happen. Things were not the same. I didn't think, act, and react the same way anymore. But I still was vulnerable to people pleasing and allowing some people to use me. Because they would confuse me. And they don't confuse me anymore. And I found out not too long ago that I am not vulnerable anymore. Why? I don't know why. I can't tell you why. All I know is that I don't allow people to use me anymore. I'll help anybody if I can. And if I can't, I, I say, I'm sorry, I can't do it. I can't help you. I can share with you what's happened to me and what I have done to be where I, I am today, but I can't change your life and I can't make it easy for you. Only you can do that. Like they told me, damn it, I didn't want to hear that. I wanted them to fix me, to give me what they had and what they felt. See, but it doesn't work that way. They said, Tito, you got to do it your, yourself. What? Tell me, give me the secret. I want to let, make it easier for me. There is no easy way. But there is. And the easier way is to do the steps and to allow someone that has been there guide you through the doorway. That's the easier way. It does not have to be painful. Growth does not have to be painful. But you have to make up your mind that you want help and that you will do what the winners are doing. And that is an easier, softer way. And I didn't believe that. I didn't believe anything anybody said. But lucky for me, I was around people that lived the program. One day we were going to San Quentin in a car, and there was about five of us. And <clears throat> we started talking, and uh, I don't remember what I said, but they said, Tino, you have to stop playing God. You have to stop giving advice because you don't even take your own advice. And boy, they pissed me off. And they pissed me off so much that I opened that door and I was going to get out of that car. And that wind hit me in the face. And I thought, what am I doing? If I step out of this car, I'm going to get hurt. I closed the door. See, but that was my ego. It took over. Our minds are so damn strong. And I really believe that this is even more powerful than the alcohol. Any day, if you use it correctly, or even incorrectly, that it will do things that you're not even aware of. You know, any sane person will not open a door and, and, and step out of a car. I almost did it. Thank God that that, that uh, air, cold air, hit me in the face, and it woke me up. And I thought, my God, you know, why did I do that? At that time, I could not, I was too angry. I could not... I thought of it, of it later. I started to tell you about uh, one of the meetings that I was at uh, at San Quentin about the swearing, what I thought the convicts were. They called on me, and uh, I used a lot of four-letter words, colorful words, expressions, because I thought that's what they wanted to hear. And uh, one of the uh, convicts uh, raised his hand. I don't want to hurt anybody. And he happened to be a black fellow. And 
He said, you know, if you can't cl- keep, clean, clean up your mouth, don't come back. <laughs> he said, <laughs> now, you're talking to me like that. He said, uh, we know how to get in trouble. We know how to end up in prison. We know how to get drunk. We know how to swear. What we don't know is how to live out there. How are you making it out there? See, we want people in here who have something to show us. So if you can't clean up your act, don't come back. And I wanted to get up and cuss him out. How dare you talk to me like that? You're black. And, you know, I come here as a favor to you. I don't have to be here. See, I, I was thinking all of that in my mind, but I wouldn't dare say it because I was afraid, you know, I'd get a fight in there and, and they'd beat me up and I wouldn't be able to get out and they'd keep me there. All of those things. So on the way back, I, I told these people, see, I wanted sympathy. I said, did you hear what he told me? Yes, and he was right. Then I got mad at them, and I, oh, Jesus Christ. So they said, Tito, he's right. You know, it says, they wrote those rules in the pink bar. That's where H and I got started. And that even, that hurt even more. That made me angrier to think that they could do things better than me, that they don't swear, that they, they, they want a better example, a better way of living. So, that's what I love about H&I. You know, we have to discipline our, 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 our sharing, our conduct. We have a code of conduct, code of, code of dress, and code of, code of speech. So we have to uh, mind our own business, not get involved in anything in there with any anyone, and that's tough, really tough for people like us. See, we they call us do-gooders, and some of us get get trapped in that emotional strings that some of those guys pull because they're very good at it, very good at it. And we are too. We are the best. I found out. I didn't believe it. I didn't want to give an alcoholic any credit at all until I became one, see. Then it was okay. Then I started picking up all of that good stuff that, that they say that we have that I didn't have yet. But I wanted it, and I didn't know how to get it. But little by little, it, it, it started happening because I got involved in H&I and general service, and I used the steps. I, I, I came up here to Grawlersburg for three and a half years. And I and I went and the reason I, I went up there is because I went to a conference when I was about three months into the program. Not because I was an alcoholic. And not because I believed that that they, that a conference had what they what I heard people say it had I wanted to go there to prove that they were lying. I always wanted to prove that this program was not what it was cut out to be, that people were lying and they were faking it. So I went to Fresno to my first H&I conference. And uh, I was angry because uh, uh, people said they were going to go and, and I wanted to ride. I didn't want to use my car. I didn't want to use my gas. And nobody 
everybody said, I don't know, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to go, or I'm not going to go, and then I saw him over there, and I, I wanted to cuss him out, but I didn't. <laughs> and I walked into the, to the conference uh, room, and uh, they gave us some tickets. I didn't know what they were for. I thought maybe it was going to be a door prize. And uh, otherwise, I would have taken a ticket. And the guy up on the podium, uh, he started calling these numbers. And they, they uh, called a number, and uh, the, the person went up and talked at the microphone. And, and I'm not going to go up there. I don't know what to say. Okay, i got to appear good. I, I always want to appear like I know what I'm doing. I'm an expert. So they called my number, and I put it in my pocket. But the guy next to me had the number above me, and he knew that I had that number. And he says, here he is right here. He's got the number. And I, now, I don't want to appear fearful. I want to appear brave, strong, confident. So I got up. Now, I didn't know what to say, but I, I said, uh, well, my name is Tino, and uh, this is my first conference, and they said, how much time do you have? Or said, it came up, and I said, well, I've got, I think, 30 days, something like that. Everybody was clapping, and you know, it embarrassed me. My face turned red, and I don't know what I said, but there was a lady there by the name of Jeannie, and uh, she told me later, she said, when I heard you talking over there, I made up my mind that I wanted you on my committee. What did I say? Uh, she said something. I don't, you know, I don't remember what I, what I said. And uh, so that made me feel good. And there's something about a conference. Uh, uh, when things begin to happen, it made me feel. I mean, I was full of energy, and and I was excited, and and uh, I'm not going to say my heart was pounding, but that's how I felt. And the, that, that day ended, and they said, there's going to be a meeting downstairs. And I thought, I'm not going to be able to sleep, so I better go down and see what's going on. I know the shared meetings, and I knew, see, they had, at that, at that conference, they had convicts, and they had ex-convicts. So, see, but I saw them up there on the panel. I went downstairs, and there was a hallway and a little room. I'm going, going to walk in this room, and there's all these guys, and uh-oh, these guys are all convicts. <laughs> so I step back, and I'm going to walk away, and, and as I walk away, there's, I see there's a, a big, heavy, set man upstairs, bald. He had a, needed a shave. I said, hell, I, I don't want to listen to that man. Everything that's going to come out of his mouth is going to be garbage. And I started walking away. I said, if I walk away, those convicts are going to think I'm afraid of them. I'm not afraid of nobody, so I walked back in and I sat down. <laughs> see, rebellious attitude. But see, it, it worked for me. And the reason it worked for me is because when that man started talking, uh, he shared some of the most beautiful words that I have ever heard for the first time. And what he said was, what this is what really impressed me, uh, because I've never heard a man say that he cried. Yeah, I never cried. And and he started talking and he says, here I am, here we are in a, in a, in a prison. 
And here's this uh, convict coming toward me. He's got a plaque in his hand. And uh, he says he's got muscles on muscles and tattoos on every muscle. And, and he's got a tank top and he's crying. Then he says, uh, he's crying so doggone much. He says he makes me cry. And I thought, this gorilla's crying? <laughs> Son of a gun, you know. Geez, there must be something to this. He says, uh, he said, here are these two macho men, you know, crying. And I said, we must have been aside. And so I started listening. And I don't remember what else was said. That's the only thing I remember about that. Now, that man changed my life. He changed my attitude. He, he showed me that no matter who you are, you can cry. And it's, it's not weakness. It doesn't show weakness. See, the women in AA tore my armor down, and that man showed me how to cry. Now, the women stripped away my armor because they showed me unconditional love by hugging and kissing me and telling me that they love me. Not, no, you know, nothing, no, there's no other way to say it. No sex involved, no sexual overtones or anything, just pure unconditional love. You know, I've, I've never had that. I've never allowed that. I didn't know what it was. So, you know, it it it, uh, it softened me uh, towards people. I, I'm not as I'm not angry anymore. I'm not resentful anymore. I'm not revengeful anymore. I can hug people. I even hug men today. You know, that was a no-no in our culture. That is a no-no. You know, if any man would have tried to hug me before I came into the program, I'd have punched him. That's what we did. Yeah. You know, and I've heard other men say the same thing. But to hear this big gorilla, is what I call him, say that him and his comic were hugging, you know, oh, shoot, that's unthinkable. So, uh, you know, I, I, AA, boy, I tell you, it, uh, people must see us and we, they must think we're nuts. You know, people who don't understand or who don't, have never gone to a meeting where they see us, they must think we're really nuts. Because that's the first thing we do when we see each other, recognize each other, we run and hug each other, and God, how are you? And, and then somebody else comes around, and they're hugging two or three people. And, what a sight. But it's a wonderful sight. I do that today. I love it. But I couldn't do it when I first came into this program. This program has given me everything that I have. Now, I've got so much today, not material, but within me, within me, I have so much uh, to share, to give, to keep, and it's only because of the program. But most of all, it's because of the people that did it before I did. See, they were my examples, facts that I could not deny. When I used to come up here to, to Brawlersburg, Sometimes I resented it and I hated it. I had to drive by myself. I never could get anybody to come with me for the first year. And and, and I used to hear people talking to me. You don't have to do anything. Just come to meetings and don't drink. And you know, I'd see people uh, being friendly with each other and they go out to coffee and, and some of those things I wanted to do too and I missed them. I had to come up to Grosburg. And, and uh, sometimes I was so angry, uh, I wanted to turn, turn around and I, 
uh, I, I, I was so, I'd be so angry and resentful that I'd, I'd be crying of anger. You know that, it's miserable. I go up there and have the meeting, then I come back, I feel so grateful and so happy, I'd be crying with happiness. <laughs> you know, and the, the tears are different, the feeling is different. <coughs> and when I began to get that feeling, and I'd hear people complaining to me, they feeling sorry for themselves, and they say, I need somebody to work with. I'd raise my hand, I said, I go up to Grongersburg, anybody's welcome to go with me. We have them up there in groups. You don't have to look for one. We've got bunches up there. <laughs> You know, and they say, yeah, I want to go with you. And the day would come and nobody would show up. And that's what really hurt me, and that's what really angered me. That, that it's so easy, so easy to get that feeling, because the only way you get it is by doing these things. And I didn't know that. I had to go through it. And it's so rewarding later, later, not right away. And God, you know, I I would tell them the, the, the feelings that I get and the strength and the spirituality. God, I, I felt like God was riding in my car. You know, I, I could feel lightheaded, light, and my, I feel like my car was floating on air. It's just wonderful. Uh, you know, and all of those things came up that day. <laughs> Sometimes I don't cry. I make it through. <coughs> but it's so overwhelming. You know, if you knew me before I came to the program, <sighs> I thought I was a tough guy. You know, and I push people around once in a while. And I remember a man saying in AA, says, God, you know, when you came in, you were so angry, I said, when I saw you walk in, I walked across the hall, across the room. And, you know, I thought they were lying when they said those things, because I forgot. See, we have, we forget so darn easy. We forget the pain, the reasons that we, that we came in with. See, I wanted to be good. I wanted to be, appear intelligent. I wanted to be, like, I had maybe the, the, the uh, experience of, 20, uh, 20 years in the program. And you, you all know it doesn't happen that way. It happens only one day at a time. See, I, I was envious. I was jealous. And I, I could not admit that I didn't know as much as they did. See, I read the book. By the way, I read it. I don't know how long it took me. I read it day and night until I got through because I wanted to discuss it with you intelligently. I don't like people no more than I do. I didn't get anything out of it. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'll cut it short. I'll cut it short. Too late, yeah. Oh, God, i got so much to tell you. So much. Let, let me just tell you this, that if you, if you want answers, it's all in here. I got to I got ready to leave AA four or five times very early, very early in my sobriety. The first time I remembered it, it said open the book. 
Because I didn't know what keep it simple meant. I, I, you know, everything is complicated for me. I made it complicated. And I thought, well, I'll give it a shot. And uh, I opened the book, and I read it, and it was page 14. You all know what page 14 is, don't you? <laughs> well, it's in Bill's story. I found out later. Uh, but it says, you know, this is simple, but not easy. A price has to be paid. It meant destruction of self-centeredness. You know, I talked about me, and I didn't like it, because I had a big ego. And, but I, but I, I took that, and I thought, well, how in the heck am I going to make this easy? See, I have to reason things out. I have to make it workable for me. And they said, get things done. Get them out of the way. I thought, well, how the hell am I going to make things easy? So, why I thought of this, I don't never know. But I thought, well, if you, if you take a compost pile and you, and, and you put it there and leave it alone, nature takes care of it. It dissipates it. And pretty soon it's gone. Now, if you don't put any more grass on it or leaves, that pile will disappear. I thought, that's what I'm going to do. I am not going to put any more, anything else on my compost pile. And I knew that if I took the, the, the major things in my life, the problems, and tried to fix them, I, I would not be successful. It would take me too long. And I would probably have to leave. So I took the most simplest thing, and I did it. And that was too easy, so I took the next one and I did that. Did it. And you know, pretty soon everything else was taken care of. Ah, oh, son of a gun, this thing works. And I, you know, once in a while I tell people that and, uh, some of them, uh, it makes sense to them. And some of them don't use it. And that's okay. That's okay. See, I can't tell you what to do. I can only tell you what I've done. Both my successes and my failures, because that's how I learned. I learned that the people who don't work the steps and say that they want to keep their character defects, I'm not going to learn anything from them except what not to do. And when I heard people say, when when I was new, I heard people say that they want to keep their character defects, and I say, well, I want nothing to do with them because that's how I came in, and I came in here, and now that I'm staying, I want to change. So I did not go near those people. Now I could not tell them that then because I was too new and I didn't know how, I didn't know what to tell them. I didn't know what, I had no experience. But today I have experience. See, today, what I have done has worked for me. And I know that anybody who keeps their character defects is hurting themselves. And some newcomers. And some old timers. <coughs> Because misery loves misery. Misery loves company. See, I'm not well yet. <laughs> I don't know what else I can tell you except that I can honestly tell you today that I love you and mean it. And I heard somebody say, you can accept it or not accept it. It doesn't matter. It's here when you want it. And, you know, I thought, I felt like that. I also heard a man say that 
If anybody had done to me what I did to myself, I'd kill them. You know, and I, I can identify with that. See, everything I've learned, I've learned in Alcoholics Anonymous. Not because I'm smart, and not because I, I, I studied anything. Is I, I took your examples, and I used them for myself. And that's what changed me. You changed me. You gave me everything I've got today. And that's why I love you so much. Thank you very much. God bless you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.